Ladies, gentlemen, and otherwise, I would like to welcome you to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. I am your host, Kelly KFM Meyer, and I consider myself lucky that any of you are even here. In January 2020, I began writing a book outlining all the gory mistakes that I had made since my wife and I founded our brewery eight years earlier. The second edition of that book is at 57,000 words and available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback formats. Please check it out, pick it up, read it, share it with a friend. The show has the same name as that book simply because my goal here is to help my guests to experience the same catharsis I did after laying my story out in public, and because I know that the lessons I wrote about were only the tip of an enormous iceberg. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, like, write a review, share with a friend. Trust me, it all really helps. In this podcast, I will interview people in and around the beer business to uncover the mistakes, the pitfalls, and the hardships that all of us poor souls in the brewing industry have had the misfortune to experience. My guests will autopsy dead and dying breweries, break down the science of brewing, and dissect the art of marketing. I'll talk to distributors, retailers, beer writers, even a fan or two. Hell, I'll shove a mic in front of anyone I think can make you better in your business. This is open and honest conversation packed with emotion and sincerity, and hopefully, a little bit of fucking vulgarity. I want to thank you for joining my guests and I on this journey, and I truly hope together that we are able to teach you and your loved ones how not to start a damn brewery. My guest today is Chris Rigolo, the founder of Noble Ray Brewing in Dallas, Texas. Noble Ray came on the brewing scene in 2015 and made a big splash with their can artwork. They quickly expanded across Texas and captured the attention of the craft beer scene with their cool names, their good beers, and their unique marketing. They expanded to two locations and by the end of 2018, word had gotten out that they were in bankruptcy. Chris got a start in this industry like a lot of us did, brewing beer at home, working jobs he hated, and dreaming of one day being able to own his own business making beer. He and his father bonded over their beer and decided, you know what, it's time to go pro. So in 2011, Chris started working at Dallas' favorite, Petacolis Brewing. He got into the American Brewers Guild School and he finished up his internship at Lakewood Brewing. It was during that time that he figured out the name he wanted to give the brewery and found himself overcome by the excitement of owning a beer business. So he quit Lakewood. Yeah, so for like a year I just basically tended bar like beer bars and stuff like that to supplement some income and my wife had a job so we uh we opened in 2015 how did you decide on the equipment you wanted to pick and what size did you go and did you like the rest of us did you just sort of just throw darts at a board or did you have a specific production goal you were trying to hit with the size and all that kind of thing so i was i just kind of emulated what i had seen like you know from pedicles and pedicles is operating like on a side barrel and then I think Wim had something like a 15 or a 20 barrel. I wanted to be somewhere in between Michael and Wim. But then whenever it came down to it, like with the cost, it was like, oh, 10 barrel, like, you know, a couple extra grand, then you get a 15 barrel and you get, like, bigger output. I just want there to be a bottleneck in the production with, you know, like the actual brew house. So I figured we'd go with that. And then I would get I had, like, 15 barrel, no, 30 barrel tank. If we want to, we can do a double brew into it, or we can do a single brew and whatever. It's not the end of the world, in my opinion, if you have, like, a half tank going. At least you've got something in the tank, and it also leaves you room with, like, you know, to scale up. As far as, like, finding, like, the, the manufacturer, I just talked to several different people, and, like, I came and looked at y'all's. I can't remember. Who is y'all's manufacturer? It was Prospero, which I do not anymore support. <laughs> yeah, I think it was after that. Dude, what was God? Their sales guy, like, just gave me like douche vibes. I guess, 
like, fuck this. I'm not going to work with this guy. I think his name was Ralph or something. It was Ralph. Uh, I was in puke. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He just, like, he was very pushy and very off-putting. So I just said, you know, I'm done. Started looking at other places. And I think, uh, yeah, we ended up with Traveller out of Niagara Falls. And I picked them because they were North American, but the prices were better than if it was, like, quote-unquote American-made. So, like, the brew house was all, like, North American stainless steel, and I think the tanks were, like, Chinese stainless steel. Did the old magnet trick, you know, to make sure that everything was good to go. And we also had, like, their guys offloaded them and made sure the same thing. So they were good. I liked Preveller. Uh, they had, I had a good relationship with them up until our hot liquor tank imploded and they tried to say it wasn't their fault or some shit like that. But, like, there's no way it was, like, our fault. But, you know, I mean, still make solid equipment. Just read the fine print on shit, I guess. Yeah, it seems like then, warranty and service is always one of those issues that these guys aren't very good at. Yeah, definitely. So and I think we replaced the hot liquor tank with an ABE hot liquor tank, but we bought it out of some guy, like some brewery or distillery in Denver. And they were like, yeah, we have this extra hot liquor tank that we've been using as a cold liquor tank, but... We already have a cold liquor. It was just one of those things where it's like, dude, why do you guys have two hot liquor tanks? <laughs> do you really need that much? But like, we bought that with insurance, and and then we, I don't know, we bought we. I think we also bought like some Deutsch tanks, and we had an ABE canning line, and a bunch of other stuff that I probably should have, you know, spaced out the purchasing because like we opened in 2015. I think we went through like an expansion of sorts, or we were scaling up in 2016 because we had just signed with favorites in like Houston and we were supposed to do pretty much like the rest of Texas. And that became an issue between our distributors, uh, which I, we can get into later. But yeah, so just looking season we're scaling up at 2016 and that's when the hot liquor tank imploded and like kind of everything came to a screeching halt for about a month. So that was fun. You know, whenever you assume you're about to like scale the launch and I think it's like, late spring, early summer, and now everything's coming, like, on a backup. Once you kill that momentum, it's tough to get it back. Yeah, I know. It was, and that's kind of what our, one of our distributors said, the local one, like, you know, was saying, like, you know, the momentum's kind of stalled, but we kind of rebuild the momentum, and so they were trying to tell us it wasn't a good idea to start distributing, like, elsewhere, mm-hmm. and then the distributor elsewhere was like, you know, fuck this, guys, start <laughs> distributing here. But that's just it was like we built so much an inventory after that because like we're not fucking around. We have all this grain that we bought, you know, like needs to be used, you know, because everything has a shelf life. Like grain has a shelf life, pops has a shelf life, you know, this. And it's just like, well, fuck it, we got to start making stuff. And so we kind of just went on to our normal, like, you know, routine of like this is what we make, but like as if there was never a drop off. And so. We just had a surplus, and so like, we just started sending it everywhere. I think we started, like, Oklahoma at some point, like, in, it was, like, I think it was, like, 2017. Probably stretched ourselves a little too thin, way too fast. Um, but you got to go where the money goes, and so at some point, if, if yeah. your distributor in one market tells you you can't keep selling them product and they won't pick up POs, you know, you've got to hit a revenue target, what do you do? That was the guiding decision, and that's one of the things that... I personally hate about having distributors and like the, the contracts that are written are all favorable to them and not to the people that are actually making the product because just like, oh, we can, like they can cut you loose at any point, but we can't cut them loose if they're not like getting their goal. 
it was just one of those infuriating times kind of going on behind the scenes as everybody knows. It's just like, oh, we got to hit, you know, like a revenue target. And if we don't do that, then we got to cut something or somebody or we've already committed to like buying new tanks because of the projections. And That's why I saw my beer go to Louisiana, Florida, San Diego, mm-hmm. Northern California, because it, yeah. I didn't have a choice. Uh, at some point we had kind of tapped Texas for what it could do and, the only mm-hmm. way for me to grow is to, because I couldn't grow organically deep, I had to go wide. And so we went with these distributors that, you know, I didn't have time to really vet them and ended up losing thousands of dollars. But at the end of the day, if I hadn't done anything, I would have also lost thousands of dollars because we weren't going to sell it in Texas. So mm-hmm. it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because mm-hmm. honestly, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? Sit with this product? And I mean, we were a brew pub, but it was so fucking hard to get people to understand that you could buy beer to go. Like from us because we were we looked like a production brewery and so people would come in assuming that we were like pedicolas because they were literally down the street from us and then like all these other like community was down the street everybody else that was like in like walking driving distance from us was like a production brewery and so people are doing these you know little beer trips and stuff on the weekend we couldn't get them to understand that they could buy like six packs or cases of kegs. Like we literally like had signs in the career like buy a keg today, like we'll literally put it in the back of your car kind of thing. And they're like, well, that's illegal. And you're like, no, it's not. Like, here's why. And so trying to like explain the nuances of the Texas state laws as far as like alcohol and beverage is concerned, it's just like, okay, this is just a shit show. So that was always fun and infuriating at the same time because like you know if I could have sold all that shit through our tap room, I would have. And made more money, uh, for sure, more yeah. margin. Oh, yeah, because it's like there's, with the distributor, I think we made like 20 cents a can or some shit, even though it costs us like fifty a can to make. It's just like, wait, I'm spending all of this money and I'm only getting this razor-thin margin. Like, uh, in the end, like, that was what did us in, was that we were, like, we were selling so many fucking cans, like, to distributors that, like, we were 80% can at one point and like 20 percent draft and the margins are just so like razor thin like on you know package it's just like cool well we're not making any money but we're like in in the public eye it looks like man we see your shit everywhere it's like yeah do you see it at your local bar though (laughs) yeah i saw that a while back and kind of it figured that out for me because i had looked at going to cans and and even the small format Mm -hmm. bottles and it just, mm-hmm. I couldn't get the numbers to work. When I had asked the distributors, they would tell me that. Like, no, you know, guys like Noble Ray are doing 80% cans. They're killing it. And I looked at them mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? That's their least profitable product. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a sales pitch for me. That's actually the opposite. That I can't, mm-hmm. there's no way for me to hit scale on a small format package. And, and I did yeah. finally figure it out. I, I, I released some products. Obviously, when they're, you know, sour beer mixed culture, there's a little bit higher retail price. But yeah. Even still, it's it's a tough game, and if I had to go back and do tons of samplings and TPRs at retail, like they're just it, they're, there's no way to make money at it. Not not really. Oh yeah. So this last year, since I've been out of the I guess the game as you will, been out of the game for like two plus years. So like 2019, like I took a job during the pandemic at the local place. I'm not going to mention them, but like they signed with a distributor. They just thought it was going to be like off and running. Like they didn't even have any samples or anything. And it was like the next day, like once like they did like their first initial pickup, they like took every keg that this place had of like cider. So like the tap room was stocked immediately. And then on top of that, whatever was on draft, like they had to go and like 
pour into like because they had like a one of the like, mini crowler things with like this twelve ounce can, and they had to do hand can like it was like hundred and twenty cases for samples, and wow. I just was like, wow, okay, like you know that you just you're giving away all like this is all shit that they're not gonna pay you really for. Yeah, you just lost so much money right out the gate. And it's tough that, to recover from it. I, I know it's oh, yeah. one of the things I talked to a, yeah. a brewery owner a while back, and he was very excited about they had done self-distribution for a while and had really mm-hmm. sort of dominated their market. And he was he was proud, and then he should have been, but he was yeah. proud that he had gotten the attention of the AB distributor in town. And he was like, you know what? I haven't announced it yet. Next month, we're going with the AB guys. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked him straight in the face, and I go, well, what are you going to do? Like, what's your plan over the next 90 days to replace that 30% lost revenue? And he looks at me with a blank stare. He's like, what do you mean? Well, every keg you were selling to that bar at full price is now going to be a 30% discount. And so, obviously, you need to have a plan because your cash flow is going to be affected dramatically. You don't make that. You're not making 30% profit. So, that's got to come from somewhere. And he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and it's, oh, yeah. You know, the well, distributor should tell you that, don't, but they don't, you know. They, yeah, exactly. Well, they don't tell you that. Like, it's one of things when you're starting a business, you think that you know everything. Like, I knew that we needed a distributor from day one, and that probably rushed me into going with a distributor that I probably would never go with, and I would not recommend. But also, like, I mean, from the sound of what we're both saying, it's like, I wouldn't recommend a distributor regardless. So, like, if you can get away with it, like, if you're going to start one, one, I would say don't open a brewery. If you, like, enjoy making (laughs) beer, don't open a brewery. Like, they've got... We set up for like homebrew stuff. Like if you've got the money that you think you can open a brewery, just fucking put a brewery in your garage and have your friends over. You know, like have them spot you some money for like, you know, bring ingredients or some shit. Um, but no, it's just yeah. I forgot where I was going because I went on a tangent there. You, you were know, saying you should self-distribute is kind of where you were going. Yeah, self-distribute if you can. Uh, like for us, we were like a brew pub, and we we also like had other people's beer on so we couldn't self-distribute like right from the start because it's either you can you can self-distribute if you only serve your product but we also only had like two beers mm. that were like ours so you needed like, more diversity yeah so it's just like well shit is anybody gonna want to drink like a steam lager and like a oh man i'm just blanking on what we had like i know the name but like the style changed like this golden ray Oh, it was like a wheat beer. And it like changed. It was like, oh man, it was like a Saison and then it became something else. It became something else. It had the same name. But it was just like, it kind of changed with the market. Oh, really? Yeah. They were just like, oh, well, it's, you know, too sour. It had like too much of a banana note. It had too much of whatever. So we just kind of like adjusted over time. But it's just, you know, those are the two that we had. It was like a lager and like a wheat ale. And you're like, oh, okay. Because we launched in, like, I think it was, like, fucking July in Texas. <laughs> it's like, all right, we have, like, a brown ale. We have, like, plans for, like, a scout and, like, IPAs and stuff like that. But it's just, what's the easiest thing that we can turn around? Like, steam lager, which is just a nail. And you're like, oh, yeah, that'd be ready in two weeks. Wheat ale, two weeks. Stout, oh, a month. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was also a cost yeah, it was like, how can we turn it? And it was like, everybody kept asking when the IPAs were coming out, and it was like, you know what, fucking hopscotch? You know, it's just like, and there wasn't a thing as like a smash IPA then. Like, I feel like it was, I'm sure there was, but it wasn't like, it wasn't popular. Like, we were like, came out and we're like, we got a single malt, single hop, 
like IPA or some shit like that. People were like, get the fuck out of here. And then Yellow Rose took over Texas. <laughs> God damn, right? I literally was like, I think it was like that next year. Like Yellow Rose like blew up or some shit. And you're just like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> Which is another one I think is funny because uh, it people get all out of shape when I tell them. Like, I actually like the beer and I think it's good. And I like the guys over there. They're actually really cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It is not an IPA by its own definition because it's a right. smash with Pilsner and Mosaic. So Pilsner yeah. malt is not pale, but so it's an right. Imperial Pilsner ale. I don't, uh, oh, yeah. but oh, I remember seeing shit like that when like that was starting to become the trend when people were trying to call it like an Imperial Pilsner, not Yellow Rose, but other ones like outside of Texas, like Pacific Northwest, it was like Imperial Pilsners. And I was like, oh man, this tastes kind of like Yellow Rose. And I like said something similar. So I was just like, <laughs> you know, said something about like, oh, it's an Imperial Pilsner then. And like, there's like a beer bar and they're like, ah. No, it's an IPA, man. Oh, yeah, people like, get mad at you. But they, Yellow me? Rose has supporters, for sure. They have, like, diehard fans. And it is good. Oh, beer. yeah. And as she says, it's like, I wasn't shitting on the beer. It's like, I enjoy it. Like you were saying, it's like, I enjoy it, but we could, like, call it, like, an appeal with Pilsner and still enjoy it? No? Okay. It has to be an IPA. <laughs> Got it. All right. It's an IPA. Whatever you say. I'm but an asshole. Also, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's the shit that also just got old. I was just like, try, like, like you know, talking to people all the time and then them trying to correct you and you're like, yeah, I just went to brewing school and I own a brewery, but what the fuck do I know? You're the guy that's the weekend warrior who, you know, does the brewery tours like every weekend. So cool, you you know more than I do. And that's not to shit on people to do that because I guarantee you there are some people out there that know way more than I do. But just like that same conversation week in, week out, you're just like, cool, I'm going to go drink over here. Yeah, I'm gonna go find my favorite bar and like I don't know, switch the liquor. Well, it's kind of a weird, um, I don't know, it's like just dichotomy in the industry that mm-hmm. you know, by and large, we all try to be inclusionary. We all like really mm-hmm. present it. And, you know, brewers are friends with each other. Obviously, like us, mm-hmm. you know, doing a podcast. Like technically, we were com- right. we were competitors back in the day, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's just an industry that you know, there's things like Pink Boot Society. There's nonprofits that are trying to give back to everything, and we try to mm-hmm. present this open and and friendly. Thing, but then you go online or you talk to a uh, you know, self-proclaimed beer nerd and there's a bunch of fucking assholes and they're just exclusionary oh, God, about yeah. you don't know what this is or that just they, there's almost like there's this like spirit of wanting to fight and be right and, and tell somebody how wrong they are um, yeah which doesn't fit it's, oh, it's strange trust me I know and I know you know too I mean like we both made beers where people were like you know, it's either the name they wanted to get pissed off about, or it's the logo, or the style isn't right, and you're just like, you just fucking drink it, or if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. Yeah, no one has to be right here. It's just, it is what yeah, it is. It's like, a product. I'm not trying to fight you constantly. Our second brewer, who I will call just our brewer, because he's the best thing that happened in Ray, Tommy Miller, he's at Rollertown now, up in Salina, making some killer shit. Uh, if anybody wants to go give him a holler, I remember there was something going on. I think we did like Eagle Tears or something. And so like we had a bunch of Philly people like shitting on us, but then at the same time trying to buy our beer and asking why they couldn't find it in Philadelphia. So it was just one of the, the dichotomy of it all was just like, okay, this is fucking weird. But I just like, I remember I got, like I got butt hurt or like over like some of the comments. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking like use warrior hops. And I'm going to call it a keyboard warrior. Make <laughs> all these dudes feel strong and safe behind their keyboard to tell me 
I'm a fuck up and all this other shit, but they'd never say it to my face. And then just Tommy had like the smarts to be like, yeah, I feel like that would alienate like half of our like people that like drink our beer. So let's not do that. And I was like, okay, fine. I won't. How awesome my wife will say that she also, my, my wife told me to do like to not do like a lot of stuff. So thank God for her. I actually have a list on my phone of beer names that just, you know, potential ones I come up with in yeah. time over the years. Right. So it's, it's probably a yeah. hundred deep now. And I added a section to the bottom so I don't forget because I tend to not always remember my inspiration came from. And mm-hmm. the section on the bottom is names I can't use that my wife vetoed <laughs> so that I, so they don't accidentally make it into the lexicon. Yeah, you got to make sure it's like, oh, that's a great one. I'll do, oh, no, that's a, yeah. that's on the not approved reading list. Damn it, Lindsay. So, yeah, no, she right? keeps, yeah. keeps me out of trouble for sure. As much as she can, obviously, I don't always listen, so. No, I didn't listen to her on, like, my wife on uh, Kendra on, like, a couple beer names. And one of which was, so we had, we had Baracus, B.A. Baracus was technically the name everybody thought it was barrel aged because i was an idiot and kept ba in there but he got <laughs> it mr t from uh the a team just because i grew up 80s kid loved the a team and i just wanted to like have like an homage to mr t i could have just called it brackets but i didn't so i called it ba brackets everybody thought it was barrel aged so that pissed off a bunch of people she told me it was like you keep the ba it's gonna like confuse people and i told her no people are smart they'll figure it out <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah we, they, we got shit on so much for that because the cans all said ba so they thought it was a barrel aged brown ale they were buying at a sweet deal too like it was like eight dollar or nine dollar six pack cheapest barrel aged beer on the market <laughs> yeah right i was like what, what the fuck but then like we had like a seasonal there's a barampus and i was like oh we'll take barackus and it's krampus that way we don't have to like do like a whole new beer. We'll just make our brown ale and add peanut butter and it was like holiday spices, so like nutmeg, cinnamon and shit like that. She thought I was the biggest idiot for calling it the rampant. She was like, Nobody's gonna fucking get it. Nobody's understand it. And this is the one that they all understood. Like the market was just like, Oh, Baracus and Krampus got it. <laughs> like it moved right on. And she was like, What the fuck? They couldn't figure out B A didn't it was just like his name. And I was just like, Yeah, I know. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. And that was like our number one selling beer. So it was like, we could not wait until it was like, I think it was the end of October when we started making it. Because it was like October through December. And then we started nudging it like even into January just because like people like drank that so much. But it's one of those things where you can't make that like a poor rampus like year round or else I fucking would have. Yeah. Like our number skyrocketed when everybody else was like kind of take that holiday January dip. And it was just like, no, we're good. Well, if it makes your wife feel any better, I had that beer for the first time with the full clip team after a oh. Friday afternoon meeting or Friday morning, Friday morning meeting at Pipe yeah. over by their place. They all ordered it. I ordered it with them. And I had absolutely no idea what it meant until right now. So your wife was right when it came to me. I didn't get the joke. There you go. And I like Krampus and I like A-Team. So you would think that, and I'm not totally an idiot, but somewhat, but well, yeah. yeah. That's just things like there are. I mean, there are people that have come to me and they're like, "Man, I don't know what the fuck this means, but I love it." And you're just like, "Could you look at the can?" Because that's just <laughs> like if you don't see the cans, you're just like, "Oh, Barampus, all right." Don't know what the fuck that means. Oh, peanut butter, <laughs> I'm in. That may have helped. I actually drank it on draft in my defense, so I guess we could give me no, yeah. give me a pass on that one. So <laughs> your cans are actually the next thing I really want to talk about, but I'm gonna take oh. a quick break here, real quick, and when we what? come back, really want to go through the branding and the all the different like kind of products you had in there. So 
Cool. Um, yeah. Be back in a second. Remember when the phone company used to print all the phone numbers on the internet and send it to your house in a book large enough to knock somebody out? Well, that's how I feel about fermenting beer in closed tanks without AccuBrew. The industry can be better by being digital. AccuBrew is simple to install, simple to use, and one of those how the hell did we ever get along without it products. For less than a case of beer, you get real-time fermentation feedback on your current gravity, temperature, and clarity. If anything is slowing down or just simply out of the range you set for your recipes, it'll alert you, your brewer, and whoever else gets paid to fix it. Making better beer in 2023 is not an option. Install AccuBrew as soon as you possibly can, check improving beer quality off your list, and get back to figuring out how to be profitable in this industry. So hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com or just type BreweryDirect into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. All right, welcome back. So we've got Chris here from Noble Ray, and we decided to take a break before we got a chance to talk about some of these cans that he had put out in the market. And um, <laughs> obviously you know that, the Chris, the cans were one of those things that really got you guys a lot of attention. And oh, yeah. I interviewed, uh, or I'm interviewing a lot of different people, but one of the things I thought was important for this podcast was to interview some retailers and get their mm-hmm. opinions of you know, some of the brewers that I plan to interview, some of the ones that I wish that I could interview, and even some of the ones I know are going to tell me to fuck off. But um, <laughs> I talked to Jody at Witchcraft in Austin, um, which, big shout out to Jody, by the way, that's a pretty yep. badass little spot. I, I really oh, yeah, like I love the old bottle shop, but uh, what they mm-hmm. did with the new tap room is, is really cool, too. So it's, well, I haven't made it down since they've done the tap room, so I guess I'll have to put that on the list. Yeah, it's, it's literally one of those, like, they, he, can't, he really did it right, where you're, you're sitting there drinking your draft products along the wall of all the, the package products, and it, it just kind of ties the whole thing together and makes you want to take things home. But anyway, so yeah. I asked him about you, and if you don't mind, I'd like to play a clip yeah. of what he said. Go for it. All right. What about Noble Ray? Noble Ray. Um... Uh, their their cans were out of this world. I mean, we would put a package of their cans on the shelf, and people would buy the cans regardless of what style of beer was in there. So that whole like little character with the top half, bottom half was yep. brilliant. That was a John Rubio thing, you know Rubio from I did know the that. Beerus. Yep. Yeah, uh, he's an illustrator and graphic designer, and somebody's got to do that idea because honestly, it doesn't matter what style it was. You'd put it out there, you'd stack the cans, people would be like, oh my god, these are so cute, I'm gonna buy them. It was great. <laughs> I honestly can't even remember what the beers were like. <laughs> Doesn't I think they matter. made a wheat beer. I think they made an IPA. I don't know what they. I can't remember <laughs> what the styles. But the packaging was fantastic. Credit John Rubio. <laughs> All right. So I want to get your feedback, but but I do want to throw out there before I say anything that I do not like John Rubio. But then go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like John, uh, but I can. I don't know. He can rub people the wrong way. I guess. Uh, but no, I like John. Um, and the funny thing is, he's he was actually the third designer we had to do those cans. Really? Uh, yeah, we had blanking on their names. It was uh, uh, something Beard. Magic Beard or something. There was these guys that were friends with the original brewer that we had, and he brought them on 
and they did uh, Steampunk, Golden Ray, Off the Leash, and Barakas. So the those were like our core four that we were going to start with. And they did amazing work, and uh, they sent me all these designs and everything. And I just I like kind of like the adventure, uh, was it Adventure Time uh, kind of feel, like that Rick and Morty, like the the brainy type characterization cartoon stuff. Uh, so I liked it because like that's the shit I grew up on. Uh, I was watching like Cartoon Network and stuff. So I like that, uh, and I just remember, like, there's, like, a we found the notes when we were packing up the brewery, and there's, like, a note, and, like, I wrote, oh, man, wouldn't it be awesome if he's, like, if we put, like, the body on the back and the head on the front or something like that so you could see the full character. Uh, just because, like, initially it was, like, it wasn't lining up. It didn't look great whenever you had, like, the character, like, just on, like, one side. Uh, and then, like, they came back, like, the next week, and they're, like, check this shit out <laughs> they had like done like a mock-up and they're like they had printed it out and put it on some cans and they're like it makes like a fucking wizard staff and that's when i was like what is a wizard staff and why have i been deprived of this and it's just like a drinking game when you like stack cans and like tape them or whatever and you create like you create a wizard staff and so and it's just with random cans it's not like characters and shit so like that that's kind of like where that birthed from uh, you know, I, ex- and then I expected to some... learn a lot of things from this podcast, but what a wizard staff is is not one of the ones I had expected. So yeah, I like, appreciate I you opening my eyes. <laughs> like I'm like I went to UNT, which is a pretty liberal school. I feel like I should have fucking uh, learned how to make a wizard staff. Um, but no, yeah, like so, yeah. Then we moved on from those guys because they got a little pricey, and that's something else. Like if you're gonna open up a brewery, like. Yeah, cans and shit like that are great. Like the deep, like our cans are amazing because that's what people remember us on. And that's kind of what I hang my hat on. It's just like I love the marketing side of of the industry because it's like how can we grab somebody's attention uh, quickly and with like minimal effort because you're competing against you know two hundred other breweries from Texas plus you know five hundred you know like in the bottle shops and shit like that. They're just like. There's so much other shit that you've got to, like, compete against. So, like, how do you stand out? But going back to it, it's just, like, the shit, like, the the first designs were basically, like, $2,000 per character. Like, oh, for, for, like, like what, for label, basically? Yeah, well, not even, like, they didn't even do, like, the full label work up, like, the original stuff. Huh. I mean, like, I think I spent, like, $10,000 with the original designers. And, like, just hearing it now going, like, God damn, that's a lot of money. You know, it's like ten thousand dollars. You know how much like product I could have made with that money. <laughs> um, but then again, it's like you talk about you know like uh, well, you got to spend some money in order to make some money. Without spending that money, you probably would have just been like any other beer sitting on the shelf. You know. Um, well, I can definitely tell like, you yeah. from, from the perspective of down here, especially. Yeah. Um, that was that was one of those things that really drove your brand um, in, yeah. in this area for sure. So yeah, if you think oh, about yeah. from the perspective of if, if you know if you're gonna do five six hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue and it costs you mm-hmm. ten grand to capture the zeitgeist of people's attention, yeah, I don't know, man, that's, that seems cheap. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's just it is. It's, it's a you know it's a cost benefit. If it's like yeah, <laughs> if we made five six hundred thousand dollars, that would have been great. Um, <laughs> No, but like, so yeah, we moved on from those guys. They're still, I mean, they're still winning awards off of those designs, like the original ones. 
Because I'll get, like, articles sent from me that are, like, dated, like, 2020 or some sh- something like that. And you're just like, okay, this won, like, some other award in some other part of the world. And, you know, it's like, oh, they like, there was, like, a BuzzFeed list. And it was, like, top 10 greatest inventions that you've probably never seen or some shit. And it just was, like, <laughs> number 10 was, like, our cans. And I was like, well, it's not really an invention, I feel like, but I'll take it. So... Yeah, well, attention's uh, attention at that point. Put in your yeah, resume. exactly. I mean, it's it's just funny because it's like we sold the brewery or it got sold because we uh, so we bankrupted. <laughs> I bankrupted the company. That's fun to say. Uh, so we we filed bankruptcy at the end of 2018, and then 2019 we were in talks with like having somebody come in and buy it, and then I was going to keep managing it, and then just things didn't work out that way and that's like probably a whole other you know book or whatever you want to write and we can sit down and do that another day just because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen whenever you're in bankruptcy and somebody wants to buy your company and it's you know the whole the expression you know over a barrel comes to mind um so it's just like yeah we like we so we lost the brand i think it was march 2019 Hmm. so but it's just it's interesting for me that I'm still being like tagged by like friends and just acquaintances and stuff like about the cans. And it's not even about the beer. Like I haven't seen like any like news of like, Hey, this is launching in this market or doing whatever. Like I know it's still out there. Um, just don't know where, uh, especially with 2020, it was a weird fucking year. Uh, so it's just like, it's interesting though to see that like the cans still speak to people. Um, on whatever level but yeah so we got uh i'll just say like john rubio came in so just to give him a plug i know you said you didn't like him but uh, ahead, man. no he he came in at like uh, he was like the last designer we had and we had him for about a year or two before we closed uh and he did a lot of work we asked him to do you know certain things and we told him what our budget was because now we had learned our lesson uh and so he just you know he plugged away and got some good stuff done like he did 30k millionaire he did tactical combat firefighter several other ones that i'm blanking on just because man they uh, i mean but they get expensive though like those cans so like that's just it is like i don't think we were structured in the way to like have like our money run through the cans the way they did i, I know i was trying to restructure things towards the end to try and you know get like the was it like the like the painted cans that they come printed like on the aluminum instead of being sleeved because the sleeve costs a lot of money it's just like the little things where it's like in the beginning spending a little extra doesn't hurt but then when you get down the road and you're like well fuck dude like i can buy a truck of these cans because we know we're going to use them in a year spend the money up front but in the long run saves us like ten thousand dollars like i'll do it so yeah, but no, I think I use the example of the pack text in the book, and uh, oh god, yeah, I, I think if I remember correctly, the over under comes a pallet is for ours a little different than cans was uh, seventeen mm. boxes I believe, and at the per box price, um, I think it's eight or nine boxes pays the same price. So yeah, if oh you, yeah, if you need one to two boxes a month, it doesn't make sense to buy a pallet. But then once you're getting to that point that you're getting six to eight, closer to nine boxes a month. You may as well be buying mm. a pallet, and you've got two months for the price of one. It's it's a crazy exactly. jump. Exactly, yeah. And we, so we also, we ran with gold pack techs. So, like, 
those are very like you know it's like oh that's a it's a very special order like you can't just be like hey does anybody else have gold pack decks no okay well I guess we'll take your green ones yeah but then I did that at one point and like people were like why do you have green pack decks it's like we like the order was delayed or some shit because that's something else that just drives me nuts sorry to go into tangent it was just like thinking about this stuff you're just like oh man. I'm paying these people. They've already been paid because it's always like upfront bullshit. And then it's like, they don't deliver on time. And you're like, okay, well I want my money back. <laughs> you know, like cause yeah. I've got to operate. And now like, cause you know, you're, your turnarounds and everything like that. Cause you're just trying to turn and burn as best you can. And then you're just like, well now I've got to sit and wait on X, Y, and Z to show up because they weren't shipped on time or, you know, whatever, and so it's just like shit like that just drives me nuts because I hear it from like friends that are still in the industry, and they're like, "Yeah, well, I guess today's a cleaning day because rain didn't show up," and you're just like, "God, I do not miss that at all." Yeah, I I tried really hard to get to the point that I had, uh, you, and you have to burn capital to do it, but I had kind of a yeah. slush fund where. I always oh, yeah. had two batches of grains on site because, you know, I mm-hmm. brew three times a month. So I figured two batches of grains give me enough time to get them here every time. And that mm-hmm. does not work either. Um, there have been many times even, too, that we did an entire packaging day of 200 cases and didn't label them that day because I didn't have the labels for the inline labeler. Right. Had to come back another whole fucking day, pay everyone again, just to label the things that we would have been in line on day one. But, you know, it's just wasted. And some of that was my fault, some of that's Spire's fault, just getting it all together, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, the joys, man. Oh, the joys. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm uh, sure everybody says that, too. It's like, oh, the joy of, like, owning your own business. And you're like, fuck you. Because <laughs> you just, it's like the same thing whenever you buy your first house or if you can buy a house nowadays. It's just like, you know, when something breaks, you're like, oh, the joys of your home ownership. And you're just like, cool, fuck you. Like... Like, this stuff sucks. Yeah, when, and obviously it makes a difference if it's going well, but even still, it's oh, a yeah. mess. But even, like, my wife and I's first company, we, you know, we did fitness centers, and we almost, after the first three to four years, we always had mm-hmm. free cash flow. And it was, we'd have a month where it was a struggle, but because it was so membership-driven, you know, you had mm-hmm. 150 grand a month and almost guaranteed income. And right. just this industry never gets there. And I'm, every time I've oh, been God. to that point where things are running smoothly, all it takes is two weeks delay on my distributor sending me a check. I can't use those funds to buy grains, and the whole fucking year's gone. <laughs> it's just frustrating. Mm-hmm. No, that's that is one hundred percent what it is like. Like, I mean, like that's like the most on point apps like like description of like how this industry works is it's like. Everything is running smoothly, and it just takes one thing. That's mm-hmm. it. Just one thing to fuck it all up. So, uh, well, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to have, like, PTSD after this call. <laughs> Bringing back uh, all the old memories. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, shit. Like, the rose-colored glasses are uh, off. <laughs> well, let's talk about something I know you were, you were happy with. Um, how about yeah. your brewer? You want, you want to talk about brewer number two? Oh, yeah. I'll talk about number two. I won't talk about number one. All right. Uh, number two, Tommy Miller. He was he was actually the first guy I hired. Uh, he worked at Deep Elm Brewing Company, and then I think there was like a shakeup at Deep Elm. This is like uh, 2013 or 14. He and I started talking, 
he was really good friends with my neighbor when I lived in East Dallas, uh, Drew Herder, who is now over at OHB. But he was like the guy that started over at Deep Elm, Drew was. And Tommy was like their sales guy, and he wanted to get into the back, like in manufacturing, and he'd kind of worked with Drew. And Drew was just like, he just needs a chance. Like, you know, I think he'd be a really good fit. Because I was trying to get Drew to be our brewer. And I think he kindly just was like, you can't afford me. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, it's true. I mean, he's a, he's a rock star. Um, and so is Tommy in his own right. Uh, especially now. Like, Tommy's kicking ass and taking names. Uh, but no, like, I asked Tommy if he wanted to come on. I said, I don't know when it would happen. I was thinking 2014 and stuff like that but i wasn't gonna i was gonna bring him on as a cellarman and i was gonna be the brewer and then as luck would have it or unluck uh there was this other guy who was trying to open up brewery his first red flag was his investors kind of like wouldn't sign on with him unless he was like with like a basically unless he was going to go big time Mm. and like my my scaling was to essentially start small then become big because uh, it's everybody's dream, you know? They're like, oh, yeah, we'll start small, and then we'll just take over the world. Um, he, yeah, so, like... He, in, your de- and, in, in your defense, I will say, that was the storyline back then. So, you know, yeah. in the early oh, 2010s, God. yeah, every brewer that we'd heard of started off with, you know, you know what, Sam at Dogfish had a, what, a one-barrel mm-hmm. system or something like that? Yeah. Had to sleep in the back, and he and he grew. So that was everybody thought that was the story. So in your defense, yeah. we all thought the same thing. Yeah, we all read the same like three books that were out back <laughs> right. then. Uh, yeah, so like he that the, that guy, I guess number one, uh, became the brewer, and I don't know why he became the brewer because I was the one that went to brewing school and he didn't. <laughs> um, but it was just one of those things where it's like I also had more of the mind for sales and for running the operations and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, so that guy, he eventually, like, he was supposed to be, like, one of the owners. And then he, like, left after, like, we didn't even celebrate year one, I think. It was like he let, literally left and went to another brewery, like, a week before we celebrated our first anniversary. Wow. Uh, which was fine by me. And it paid it played well for Tommy because I remember Tommy wasn't sure what was going to go on like and I just remember taking Tommy to lunch like the day that this other dude like quit during the middle of the staff meeting uh for no apparent reason but anyways I just told him I was like hey man do you want to be the head brewer and I'll match whatever he's getting paid at wherever he is like he's going and uh you know I called the other owner I was like so what are you paying number one and he kind of just kind of told me, and I was like, "All right, cool, thanks." And that's what I ended up paying Tommy. So, and you know, to Tommy's credit, though, he earned every cent that he he made because he was first person there, last person to leave. Uh, he hated doing events. So that was always kind of like the part where we'd be like pulling teeth and trying to get him to like go to this stupid beer event on the weekend. It's just like you just have to be there for an hour, man. That's all you got to be. People want to meet the brewer. That's all. Those are grind, especially if he's been sweating all week and, and making all the beer yeah. and to put on well, happy I mean, face. Also, yeah, he had like a, I think she was like five or something. He had like a five-year-old daughter. And so, and it's like, you know, you don't really understand it until you become a parent. You're like, oh, what's the big deal? And then you have a kid and you're like, oh, that's why it's a fucking big deal. Got it. Okay. <laughs> like, cause, cause kids have, 
yeah well yeah i in that like and that's just like i tried to be like hey man we're paying you well and blah blah, blah and like you can bring your kid and I, nowadays like because the company i worked at during 2020 said some shit about like oh you can bring your kid i'm like he's two there's no fucking way i'm bringing a two-year-old here like kind of thing to like yeah. whatever they wanted me to do and it's just like no that's that was kind of a rude thing to say uh so it's just like looking back it's just like oh man that was stupid um but you know like it would be like hey man show up for an hour his wife ran uh something what is it oh uh proper baking and they were had like a setup like a pop-up in the dallas farmer's market and every event seemed to be like within two minutes from like the farmer's market and it was just like hey could you pop over like get seen and the funny thing is he'd always just be like no i don't really want to do it and he'd show up and be like all right you're you, you're good you fulfilled your duties and you'd be like well i'm getting free alcohol right yeah, now i'm gonna hang so, out now <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna hang out now. Now that I'm here and I can see that like all like basically it was like all of our friends were there. So it's just like, oh, we're all hanging out? And I don't have to pay for shit. Alright, I'm gonna hang out. So <laughs> Yeah. Which I think I like like when we were doing the pre warm up talk, we talked about the infamous like Tommy incident. It was like our first ever event. So just yeah, he's Tommy's a Tommy's a great dude, but he's also not a dude to be fucked with. So <laughs> <laughs> even by police, doesn't apparently. Matter. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't matter who you are. You should just know who Tommy is, because don't fuck with Tommy Miller. Um, yeah, he's a uh, yeah, I fucking love Tommy. Um, yeah, so that's that's our brewer, and he will forever and always be the brewer. So no but matter you, what, you're the second person that's told me about the police that he's at now. What was it called again? Roller Town. Yeah, I haven't heard. I of can that. get you the if you want to talk to those guys, I'll send you their contact. Yeah, no, definitely. And next time I'm in Dallas, I'm gonna go by. I've been disappointed by so many beers that I I tend not to go to breweries anymore if I don't get a recommendation. So I'm, right. Oh, I would go. Yeah. Um, it's not quite Dallas. It's like forty five minutes north of Dallas. Like towards so Sherman or know, towards Denton. Uh, towards Sherman. Kind of split the difference. Like okay. Denton and Sherman, Salina. Like if you're going up, like basically in Dallas, you go up the Dallas North Toll Road and you're hitting, you hit Frisco. Like you run the toll road until it runs out, basically. Like it's where they've stopped construction and you take a right and then a left and then there's Salina. So okay, it's a it's a cool city like on the rise, but it's definitely still like one of those small towns um so like you know i think they got in before the like the boom's gonna happen so so like roller town will be a a big deal up there um it's a big deal here because the two guys well two of the owners are uh ben and skin and there there's like a radio show here on the eagle called ben and skin it used to be like on the sports radio show and now it's just a radio show so like they're two of the owners and uh Big craft beer and like bourbon fans, so uh, yeah, well, cool. good people yeah. all around. But yeah, I'll send you their contact. You should definitely go check them out next time you're uh, up this way, and you know, stop by and say, "Hey, I I always still have like really good beer, <laughs> or beer in general." Yeah, right. Yeah, you can take me out of the industry, but you can't take the beer out of me. I don't know where that phrasing is going, but yeah. Yeah, I know where you're I going. I drink that. a lot. <laughs> More than you used yeah. to before you started. Uh, and actually, probably less. It just feels like on the weekends I drink a lot more, but it's probably because it's summer and, you know, post-pandemic or we're still kind of in a pandemic, but just, yeah. you know, in our bubble with friends and stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, yeah, another another 
beer, I'll have another one. And you're like, oh, man, we're out of that beer, and we bought, like, two cases of it. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> um, it's really easy to do. Yeah. really easy to do these days. I blame 2020, man. And, you know, also being in the industry for, like, a decade. So 2020 was rough for that. I, I, I definitely drank more that year than I ever have, and I didn't right. really realize it until recently. It was about four weeks ago that I stopped drinking for a month and then slowly mm-hmm. integrated it back in. Uh, it was bad for a little while. <clears throat> oh, God. Yeah, I tried not to drink during the week. But I then it, like you hit, like, Wednesday, and you're like, fuck it. Like, I'm having a drink or something, so... Well, especially yeah. when, like, when you're in the industry, there's there's events during the week, and those Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the off nights that they do events because no one comes otherwise, and so mm-hmm. there's an excuse, quote unquote, to uh, drink right. just about every damn day of the week. So, well, and those that. events, oh, that was like the most peer pressure type shit ever, because you get there and you're gonna have at least one of your beers, and they're like, no, stick around, have something else, and you're like, okay, I get nobody else is here, but I'm not here to fund your Tuesday night. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't, I, that's definitely something I, I don't miss. I feel like I've said that like with a lot of shit though so far. <laughs> like, don't miss that. Don't miss that either. So, no, there's a long list. Yep, yeah, but for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, so mistake four in my book was just brew whatever is popular instead of what's profitable. Um, what did you like? How did you figure the recipes and the ideas for your flagships? You said you had four, I think, when you started. Yeah, we, we had four. Um, most of them were because it was like you know doing homebrew and doing like sampling people and just going like, all right, which ones do people like? Which ones do people not like? Uh, we also with the other guy uh, kind of like blended some of his recipes in and stuff like that and so that's how we ended up with like a steam lager a red ale a brown ale and a wheat ale and you're just kind of like that's the most boring fucking lineup ever did you have one uh, that outsold the rest or anything uh off the leash did really well the red ale and that's because i just feel like it was like hoppy enough that it was like our hoppiest beer mm. uh when we first launched but it was also like not heavy so, you know, it, it, it basically cannibalized, like, the steam lager uh, because, you know, they're very similar. You know, they're very malty, uh, subtle hops. And so, yeah, I mean, there's the lesson there is just figuring it out. And like you said, like, I like how you said it was, like, make, don't make what's popular, make what's profitable. Because that just made me think of, like, the, like, our most profitable beer was, like, Sex in a Canoe, which is an American lager. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things it's like, it's not sexy at any stretch, <laughs> but it's like we always had, because we ended up having like 60 barrel tanks at one point. And we always had at least one of the 60s and one of the 30s. So like 90 barrels at any given point were like sex in a canoe because we yeah. had to logger it. So you're just like, well, there's two tanks that are tied up for this month. So like that's, and that's something else that you have to like try and explain to like even the distributors. You're just like, well, this is super popular. It's a logger, and we have to logger it. it. Means it takes about twice as long as it does to make an ale. And yeah, you know, it's just like there's By more definition. steps. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally here's a book, or you could just fucking Google it. Uh, and it was just so. That's also why I wanted to do a steam logger, 
so I thought that would be good, but it just I like them. I like I like steam loggers. Uh, yeah, right. but nobody else did. So that that's when we just kind of like sort of took that off. I think we just put that on like the pilot system. We had like a it was like a half barrel, one barrel pilot system, and we were just like, all right, that's just tap room shit. You know, like we'll make shit to go in the tap room and let these other you know. I think we had two sixties and four thirties. So I was like, well, let everything else just kind of like be whatever the popular shit is or like popular that makes money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get into the hazy beer or the hazy IPA. That was like starting to become a thing. Like, right. Like when we were going under, so it was just like, I think we had like a tropical IPA that was sort of hazy, but it was just, I didn't believe in the, you know, like, let's add oats and whatever the fuck else. Like, I don't, yeah, it's just, like, at that point, it's not, like, in pastry stouts and stuff like that. Like, I'll enjoy one now and then, but it's just, I don't want to fucking make it. Or I didn't. So that might have been just because I was a little too old school or whatever, but. Maybe because <laughs> pastry stouts suck when they're fucking stupid. Maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,. Um, and that's just it. like I get why people like them. Like I can see it, but it's just like I'm not gonna make sixty barrels of it. I'm not gonna fucking make thirty barrels of it. Like I'll make a one barrel of it, and, you know, to be the gimmick. But it's just like that's when everybody wants it. You know, you're like, oh, we're putting this pastry stout. It's like tap room only, and then like your accounts call you and they're like, how do I get this pastry stout? And you're like, come to the fucking tap room. It's like it's literally our tap room. Cause I think we did stuff like that where it was like, oh, we'll do the weird, stupid shit that's super popular. And it's only going on like our draft one. We had like twenty taps, like at the end. So, oh yeah. Well, at the end, it was all of our shit. It was so it's just like one of those things. Where I was like, God, could I get rid of our distributor <laughs> to go back to it? Because it's like brew pub, you know. It's like, oh, we could self distribute if we wanted to. Oh yeah. And actually, we had so we had twenty taps at our main location, and we actually had a second tap room in the farmers market. So in the Dallas like downtown farmers market. So. Wait. Which uniquely is now called Second Tap, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's owned by one of my friends, too. Oh, okay. I wonder, is it that was part of the reference or something? Uh, no, they wanted to be, uh, so they're, what, why they're called Second Tap is because they want to be, like, the second tap room for, like, other people. Where it's, like, they, like, the the whole shtick is that, like, for, I think it's, like, a month or forever long the beer's on. Uh but like for a month is like their hard lines. Like you're, you know, they'd be New Braunfels Brewing Company's second tap room or, oh, you know, sure. like late. So it's like, we only serve that product. So That's like, cool. so all their taps would just be, you know, that product or like, you know, from that brewery. And then they would rotate in other shit. Uh, like as like kegs blue, like they, but they would buy like two to three kegs of each. So it's not bad. I just, also know that like that cold room there is not designed to hold that many kegs so yeah it's a small spot which is one well, of it's cool but... well the, the reason why is because we were like cross counting it and it was like throwing in the, like in our shitty ass delivery van running it across town that was the only thing that that van we had had to do was just go across town drop off kegs come back so but you know, yeah, makes sense. So and that isn't really designed to be a, a like to do that. It's 
pain in the ass and like all the sellermen hated doing it and you know because you try to like rotate and they're like all right it's your turn today <laughs> and they're like god damn it because it's not like you can just drop like a pallet in you know it's not like coming right off the dock you're like you gotta like take each keg down and load them individually and it's like oh there's 10 kegs that are going over well fuck so, yeah, wheel it all the way in and set it up. Yeah, yeah, it was like, and we didn't have like a ramp. We had it was like a dock and then stairs. That was it. No ramp. So not even a, a wheelchair ramp. That's how bad our tap room was. But we also started, <laughs> how'd you get away with that? Uh, I have no look because when we signed the lease, we talked to the city and all that other shit, and they said, well, since we're a lease, we're only responsible for what's within the door, not outside the door. And that would be on our landlords to supply the uh, FDA-approved like lamp. Is it FDA? No, it's not something else. Anyways, the the wheelchair stuff. And we kept talking to them, and like they always were just like, "Oh yeah, maybe some other time." We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was always a moving target. And then they sold, like our lease got sold to somebody else, and it was like, "Up oh, back to square one." We're talking about this shit. And then I think it was like a year later, we, you know, the inevitable happened. So it's one of those interesting things where it was like, okay, it's somebody else's problem now. And then the new owners of the of Noble Ray uh, didn't even stay there. I think they were like, they got the fuck out of that lease and went somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah, probably smart. They don't have, like, probably. out of both leases, I guess, technically, right? Oh, um, yeah, true, true. Yeah, but no, yeah, uh, my friends, the guys second tap, I think they have, like, two other bars in Deep Ellen now, so. Oh, that's cool. All good places, so I'm, give, I'm just giving you a list of places to come in Dallas. Yeah, now I've got to come up, up soon, so. Yeah. Don't don't hang out in Uptown. No offense to Uptown, it's just kind of <laughs> Just uptown. don't fucking go there. No offense, but well, it It's sucks. just like whenever people think of Dallas, they're like, you know, the Dallas person, it's like kind of where that reputation comes from it, but i mean i feel like deep elms also starting to get like uptown or whatever it's starting to become like the bottled blonde of like dallas that's like just a major bar it's like a big ass bar in deep elm yeah that always is breaking rules and shit and somehow stays open so well, i definitely shouldn't uh tip my hand and, and say that i have a favorite bar out of all the ones that i'm trying to sell beer to in dallas fort worth but I do, and it's strange ways, and that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, I go strange see ways is all, those guys. Like strange ways to go. Like I feel like it's just like it's the best like beer bar to sell to, especially if you have sours. It's like okay, because they do like what is it like the annual sour fest or something, and yeah, they do a barrel aged fest too. And oh just, yeah, they're just nice people too. Like they they're they're in the shit yeah. of it. Like they deal with all the nonsense that everyone's ever dealt with, but they're just not cynical mm-hmm. and shitty and. It's cool. Right. They're just great people. So, yeah, it's Eric well, and Rosie. Well, if you do make so. it to Denton, I was gonna say the thing of like people that are in the shit of it and they're like, you know, not cynical. Like Bearded Monk up in uh, Denton is like probably one of my favorite places. Well, Ben can't be cynical because I think he's drunk all the time. But yeah, I love you, Ben. Oh, Ben. Ben? Yeah, yeah, Ben's Ben's, great. Ben is always drunk. I don't think that dude's been a sober day uh, since he opened that place. He dared me to shotgun, and now I don't remember what the beer was, but I'm sure it was Montucky because it was him on the oh, steps. Oh God, yeah. He, he walked me over to the steps of the Denton courthouse and we shotgun mm-hmm. beers, like, which I'm oh, no yeah. stranger to breaking the law. I thought that was really funny for, he's just a nice guy. And then he just wanted to go up and do that. Well, I was going to say, I think technically like you can 
like Denton has like a you can drink out in the square kind of thing. Mm. So I don't know if like the steps are off limits, but it's just like, yeah, it's the wild, wild west like up there. And I've always been trying to like tell people like here in Dallas that we need to adopt that. Like, just let people like walk around with like a beer and drink, not drive. And and a smile. They're all happy. That's the that's the important part. Exactly. So. Cool. Yeah, Ben's amazing. I need to make it up there again. But I, I highly recommend that if you make it that trip. Go to Beard Monk. And then was it Denton County Brewing Company is right next door too. And they're yeah. good, they're good people and good beer. So And Seth's a really nice guy. He asked me a couple questions when I was up there before and unlike a lot yeah. of birds, he was listening and he actually you know what I mean, like took yeah, the feedback. He like actually which, yeah. He it, 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 he gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, he wants his beer to be the best it can be and as yeah. amazing as that is, that is rare. So um mm-hmm. yeah. For sure. All right. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of like batch quality and dumping stuff, but I think we should take a quick break here real quick so I can sure. pay a couple of bills because uh, mama needs there shoes. But, uh, Make that money. I'll give you a second to think about it. When we come back, I want to hear about the shitty right. beer that you made. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking around, guys. So what I want to talk to you about now is the mistake six in the book was if you fuck up, don't dump it. And that is directly related to... Um, some of the things that we had done where it was mm-hmm. it was easy for me coming from a sales background to taste what came out of my tank and convince myself that it was saleable um, mm-hmm. when it, when oh, it yeah. wasn't you know and, and oh yeah and what you find is that when you have a brand out in the marketplace regardless of what that brand is that that's what people get used to when they see the can they see the package they want to know that it tastes the same so if the yeah. banana was brand off, continuity yeah, yeah. If, if banana esters were off batch to batch that would made a big deal and so I did not have good parameters at all um, for years in the beginning for right. where my beer should live and what what uh, was outside of that bounds. So yeah, I, I just ask you straight up: like, did you have a batch of beer that you guys brewed, thirty barrels, sixty barrels, whatever, and tasted it, and you're like, you know what, this shit's got to go down the drain? Uh, so I'll I'll start with like so year one, like we started in July. We made it to like winter and somehow Golden Ray, like our wheat ale, froze and lagered itself. Hmm. But we just said, fuck it, let's see what it tastes like kind of thing. We were like, all right. And it had like this like super bready taste to it. Uh, enough to where I was just like, oh, yeah, like you said, it's sellable, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Tastes good, uh, it's got alcohol in it, whatever. Yeah, tastes good. <laughs> and I was like, let's cover up the breadiness with something. Like, what are we going to do? And, like, so 
we threw raspberries in, like raspberry puree, and we'll just like call it raspberry golden ray or some shit like that. So distributor fucking loved it because it was like, you know, a one-off. It was supposed to be a one-off. And the shitty thing is that the next year around that same time, everybody expected raspberry golden ray to come back. And we're like, well, we're not going to fucking lager it. You know, it's like it's it not going to taste exactly the same as it had. But we still put raspberries in it, and we're like, yeah, here you go. Kind of thing. So that was like kind of like the first case of like, can we sell this? But it was like later on, uh, to like the point where you're saying, like, did we ever like, you know, send one to the drain? I was like, yeah, I think we sent like one or two tanks. And that was right before our like one year or something. It wasn't like any beers that were designed for our one year anniversary or anything like that. But it was uh, the Brewer, Brewer One not Tommy. Uh, I think he knew he was uh, about to dip and just kind of like started fucking off and didn't like pay attention to what the tanks were doing or really giving a shit. And I just remember like after like he left, Tommy and I tried to do the whole, it's anything salvageable, like spent like a couple days like trying it, seeing different methods that could save it. And I just, it was like the, Friday before like our one year anniversary like Tommy and I are just like cooking up hoses and sending shit down the drain uh, actually I probably wasn't me it was probably Brandon and Tommy Brandon's another dude who I, I fucking love uh, always will Brandon works he's up in Colorado now at New Terrain um, with uh, his fiance whom he met at Noble Ray uh, Eva and she uh, yeah we yeah we hired her because she's fucking amazing too, but she's like in hospitality now up in Denver. But um, anyways, that was a side tangent. Uh, so if you're in if you're in Colorado, go check out New Terrain and say hi to Brandon and Eva. Uh, but like we they they sent it down the drain. Just it just had like I couldn't even tell describe what it tasted like. It just ass. It just tastes like pure ass was coming out of the tank and that's just you know it's like one of those things where you're like there's no there's not enough amount of raspberry or any kind of puree you can put in that'll cover like a real shitty taste was that um, more than one beer or yeah. just one tank that he did that with oh it was there's two tanks wow like it was one of those things where like because we we were kind of the way we were set it up it was like you'd probably brew twice a week kind of thing just because we had four tanks at that time so it was like we'll brew into these two tanks you know, kind of give like a two-week kind of deal. So it'd be anywhere from one to two uh, two brews a week. Um, actually, probably more because we had, you know, 30 barrels. So, yeah. So we were brewing one to two times a week just to fill tanks uh, and give it the time. So they're like, he had two tanks he was working on and decided he was going to give up on them or something. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, those, were, those were the big ones that I remember, like, I'm sure we there was another one at some point because every brewery like you start like you said you set your parameters and you go this is where this is supposed to live between this and this and this is the flavors we need to have and uh, all that other shit um, but so it's just yeah I'm sure there was something else down the line I just like, as the years went on I kind of like took more and more of a step away from being in the back unless it was like helping packaging or something so. Yeah, so you never really had, like, a, a recall once it went to retail, like, from bars and restaurants or even from the distributor's docs? Um, 
we got i would say we got close because of cans because we don't we didn't have like a centrifuge or anything like that mm-hmm. so it would be like the spontaneous re-fermentation of some shit because an account would have like a case of beer like sitting like out on the floor for like a week at like you know 75 plus degrees or like it was in their you know warehouse or some shit like that uh and then we'd have like a can explode or something so we would be afraid like apprised of like uh certain situations where it's like we're gonna get out of here we're gonna have to buy it back i think a distributor bought like a couple cases back at one point and then like we bought it back from them because that's kind of what distributors will do is force you to well they'll just hold the money back right they they hold all the money anyways yeah exactly yeah so like that was kind of like the only like i guess quote-unquote recalls we never had like an entire batch had to be recalled it would just be you know like okay like this case like a six-pack or like one or two cans from this six-pack exploded they want to like send it all like they want to send the whole case back so but so stuff like that so ultimately the uh the failure of noble ray didn't really have to do with a, a bad quality of beer in other words like no everything because we were really bad with fucking money <laughs> so. as many people yeah. are so yeah no it's true i mean it's one of those things where it's like i took a small business course and like they just it was i was expecting to like learn more about spreadsheets and money and shit and it was more like do you have a viable idea do you have all this other shit so yeah all the yeah. positive we, push and none of the you know, kind of logistical. yeah exactly Mhm. Mhm. Get that a lot. Yeah. So, oh God, yeah. So mistake seven was trust distributors to sell your beer. I got a <laughs> fair inkling that uh, this may be an issue you've got. So obviously, <laughs> I don't. Anyways, let's just open that up. With um, did you guys ever self-distribute, or did you go to a distributor right out of the gates? From jump, we had a distributor. Okay. As did we. Yeah. Was, my plan was never to self-distribute. Um, I ended yeah. up actually doing that later when I lost a distributor and realized there was some money there, but um, right. only out of necessity. And so if I had a distributor yeah. market, I always had a distributor in the market. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. for us, we like we opened as a brew pub, and we only had like two to four beers that were on and had like 20 taps. So like our tap room, it didn't really make sense to have just four beers on and then self-distribute. I mean probably looking back at it is like fuck it we should have just done it and we should have probably had like a bigger profile or something like that as far as like our the beers that we put out um and then just self-distributed but we just said fuck it we'll sell other people's beers uh uh, buddied up with a distributor and like basically we just bought like everything that was in their portfolio and put that on our tap wall so like they were loving it because they were making money off of us multiple ways you know it was like oh Mm -hmm really only buying like from us because that's what the problem is it's like you're just like oh man we're gonna be like really close and like because they were a smaller distributorship and shit like that so it's just like oh yeah like they'll take care of us and we'll take care of them and they were really good about taking care of themselves so it wasn't a two-way street it was a one-way street <laughs> so so how did you pick your distributors uh went with the whoever the fuck was gonna like distribute our beer we had talked to like one of the it was like the miller coors people because we were like right next door to their uh distribution center like i could literally have taken a nerf football and like launched it into like their truck yard 
Um, so like we were like trying to get them because one, it would have just been way fucking easier. Like we wouldn't have had to have like a massive cold storage room. They would have just picked up and taken it. Uh, but they had been in this for a while and understood that like they needed to have a product they would actually sell. So they wanted us to wait about like I think it was like six months, like self distribute for six months, and they would take a look at our numbers and go from there. Uh, and in my head, that didn't work, uh, even though it's like the most logical, sane thing for like a distributor to say and do. Uh, and then I think at the time, the AB distributor was like only really willing to like work with like one local brewery, and they already had like I think it was like Community or somebody. Um, and there so, weren't, surprisingly weren't many options up in you know Dallas Fort Worth being one of the biggest cities in the country. I think you yeah. had what three independents maybe. Uh, yeah, there was like Sons of John, uh, Blood, oh, I miss those guys. Yeah. Full Clip, yeah, yeah, Sons of John, uh, love those guys. So, um, and then Flood, like I knew the guys at Flood. I talked to them. I think they were more of like the they wanted the weird shit kind of kind of guys. Uh, they had a lot of European really... beers and imports and stuff too. Yeah, which, uh, which is like I always talk to them about getting like the Keller and stuff like that because they had the weird European shit. So every once in a while, I'd like throw that on the tap wall, mostly because I wanted to drink it and like I lived at the brewery, so it was like fuck it, like I'm I'm paying for it anyway out of like my pocket because you know not really taking a paycheck. So might as well get some beers that I like. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And, uh, yeah, so no, so like yeah, working with a distributor. That's um, yeah, it is what it is. It's like you know, it's necessary evil, as everybody will tell you. Because I haven't met a single brewery that's like fucking love our distributor, like amazing. Never had a single issue. And you're like bullshit. Unless it's Dogfish Head, I guess. Because technically, I think they're the distributor up in like Delaware. So. Yeah, well, I think uh, yeah. Stone distributes in California, but even they don't. Yeah, oh, that's lives true. Yeah. But yeah, yep. the distribution thing is sort of, it, I mean, well, the laws are obviously structured in a way that it's kind of anti the brewery to begin with. But Oh, God, yeah. The whole market with them is that they, they've got to have so many different brands to be able to make so much profit for per drop that the headspace of being able to manage all of those brands, you know, take like a Benny Keith, they have like hundreds of brands. And if you're in there, yeah. you better be out in the market selling it for them because they just, they literally just don't have the time. So, yeah. And that's just, it was like, but they, like a lot of like breweries, small breweries or new breweries will assume, okay, I've signed with Benny Keith. There, we're now in their portfolio. So now we're getting, like, we're going to be in front of like so many more places. It's just like, no, you're really not. You're going to be like one of 100 like you know breweries or you know seltzer companies or whatever so it's like and if each one of y'all has like 10 to 20 products we'll multiply that by like 100 so like you're one of like you know was it a thousand now so good luck <laughs> good luck indeed so, yeah i mean it's, it's yeah it's sad but true so so you guys had, uh, we were at the same distributor house too, um, Full Clip for a long time. You guys had Full Clip through most of the state, right? So that's where, like, some issues, there was uh, some contentious issues. Because <laughs> we had signed on with him for Dallas, Fort Worth, like North Texas. Basically, I think it stretched to, uh, where, like, 
what's the I don't know they stretch to like basically like out to like Louisiana border up to like the Oklahoma border and out to um there's a Air Force base can't remember where it is anyways like West Texas part of West Texas like kind of like right where West Texas begins and like the Metroplex ends mm-hmm. uh, so like they had us that and then it was kind of like I think it was like Waco was what we like what was the assumed cutoff because it's like within an hour basically it's anything that's like within an hour to like at two hours of uh, dfw is considered their territory um and we signed with favorite brands to do like houston austin and san antonio and then also like the rio grande valley and so between favorite brands and full clip became kind of like this you know big dick uh argument like who has the biggest dick and who could just shiv at us and honestly i could give a shit as long as my product was being sold so i just kind of let them like have lawyers fight about it and but it started to become an issue because there was like accounts like you know like in austin or whatever they're like okay full clip just dropped off this order but like favorite basically it's like who do we pay this like this to because favorite brands are saying that they're the the distributor and just like shit like that so that usually was that's pretty simple in Texas because we do it by county. So somebody fucked that one up, but it happens yeah. for sure. In fact, that's... well, that just seems like I had looked at the counties and I made sure there was no overlap. And uh, like apparently there was like a TBD or some shit like with full clip on like uh, like the Austin, San Antonio, Houston thing because they weren't distributed there. Like they had no distribution there at the time. So like when we were talking about it, we had told them we wanted to go to Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. And they're like, oh, we're working on it. And that's all I ever heard is we're working on it. Mm-hmm. And never really any kind of like definitive timeline. So, in you know, I just was like, fuck it. I'll set it up. It's a TBD. And they're not going to give me the, you know, the determination. Then I'll determine it. Um, so that's where like that issue kind of stemmed from. Uh, and then I think it was like eventually like favorite brands. Like I just, they dropped us, I think, in the last year because... Um, I'm a very difficult person to work with. <laughs> like, uh, like I'm just a very, I expect, I don't want to say perfection, but I expect whoever is going to be like representing my brand or like working with my brand to put in the same amount of energy as I do. And I know that's probably asking a lot, you know, cause it's like certain people, it's like, well, it's not my brand. So I don't give a shit. Uh, you know, like I care about it, but it's again, not my brand. Um, but at least, you know, wanted to be you know truthful and honest and a lot of times i feel like distributors will tell you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear so or they'll tell you what you need to hear but you know like what is it you know three months after the fact yeah so, right not when you need to hear it yeah exactly <laughs> so speaking so. of which i i talked to joey um from, oh yeah from full clip and i've got a quote from him if you want to hear it sure <laughs> i'll play it for you Amateurs talk strategy, professionals talk logistics. I mean, Chris never run a business. So many moving parts and getting the the cans you need to the cost you need, the the grain you need, all all that shit. And as opposed to going, shit, I have to figure this out. This is a make or break deal. Um, It was hard and hard to figure out. So he's just like, oh, just brew steampunks. It's like, no, but he wants to drink steampunks. What do you say about that? 
Well, uh, it's funny because whenever I told him what we were going to do, actually, I'll just say the truth. Fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> I was going to try and be polite, but it's like he doesn't know how to run his operation that well either, or else he'd be competing with like the Benny Keiths and the Andrews of the world up here in Dallas instead of having the shitty reputation that he has. Uh, <laughs> just to be blunt about it. Um, no, I mean, like, we always wanted input, and it was never a, oh, we're just going to make steampunk. It was, this is what we have to make. Like, this is the materials we have. And you can't come and tell somebody, like, as it's already made, being canned, kegged, and everything like that. It's like, oh, well, we don't want that. Like, like well, you have to, like, give us forecasts on what's selling. We have to know, like, your information. And as somebody that probably has you know, dealt with Joey, it's kind of hard to get like a straight answer from him whenever you're trying to, when you need to get one. So, you know, uh, when I look back at some of the failings of like Noble Ray, I'll own like, yeah, I was a first time business owner and I didn't know a whole lot and I trusted the wrong people. Uh, Joey was one of them. Um, and it's just one of those things where, you know, you you do have to take control of your business at some point. Uh, and, you know, I'll take all the responsibilities. Like, my business failed because, you know, I did a shit job as an owner. Um, not catching, like, the trends or seeing the things uh, when they were happening. It's easy for me to look back now and say, oh, man, I shouldn't have done this. I should have done that. Uh, but that's the shoulda, woulda, couldas, you know, like, you know. It is what it is. Like, I can be an armchair quarterback today uh, and, like, look at all the faults. But, yeah. you know, I think that uh, was... it, in the end, it was just I trusted the wrong people and made some shit decisions uh, based on, like, the shit information I had. For me, when it comes to distrib- distribution, um, it seems like one of those things that I, I, don't, I don't know any brewery that's really cracked the nut. Um, on what mm-hmm. you're talking about. So obviously yeah. as a, we're a big time one-off and seasonal company and now we have a couple right. of um, consistent outputs, but for the most part, it's a fruit and sour that we release barrel aged for a year and we release it when uh, peaches are ripe here in Texas. And it's, you know, once a year right. after we make it, we're done. And, and if our distributor says, no, nah, we're not going to get any of that. We're kind of fucked because we had to make it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had even years ago, and, and actually Full Clip was one of the ones I did it with, I had asked all my distributors to give me a forecast. And so I was like, okay, look, here's my production schedule for the year. This is the mm-hmm. amount of outputs I plan to make. I can buy right. less fruit. I can brew less beer to put in barrel. But I need to know from you guys, like, do you want 10 cases? Do you want 150 cases? I can do any of right. it. I just need to know. Yeah. And I got them all to give me an actual forecast by month, what they needed, what they were going to purchase. And literally the first month, they did not do that. Um, and I'm stuck with product. And so... I'm shocked, <laughs> honestly. Shocked, I say. Yeah, and it was every uh, every distributor across the board. I, I think I had three yeah, I did it with. every you know. single one of them. Yeah. Every single one of them is going to lie to you. And it comes back, it's like they tell you what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. And it's just like, dude, if you just don't know, just say you don't fucking know. But, like, don't lie to me. Like, don't don't make me make these forecasts and these assumptions off of the shit information that you're barely willing to give me. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and it's just like, I would talk to Tommy and be like, because Tommy, Tom, for, God bless that guy. 
because he he knew how to talk to like the joeys and stuff like that um probably because he's you know uh military so he's just used to like all right you got to sweet talk <laughs> this person in order to get him to tell you what they're really fucking thinking but he would also be willing to like all right i'm gonna stay at this event until fucking midnight and make sure like <laughs> things go the way they're supposed to and like drink this guy under the table and get him to tell me the truth i uh i don't suffer fools gladly so i think that was probably also like a thing i didn't have going in my favor is that it's like i i don't bullshit people like if you're a dick and you treat me like shit like then cool that's who you are then now i know how to treat you which is you know in kind um and so that's just like i i feel like yeah that's probably some of like the downfalls of of noble ray was me not really taking control like i I think i said already it's like we were 80 percent like package versus 20 percent draft but i also trusted or was trusting that like the distributor would you know be getting us in front of bars and everything else like that but they were but they were only selling the cans to the bars because everybody like and that's just like the cans were almost too fucking good yeah right because nobody wanted like a keg and i was like tempted to just get the fucking kegs wrapped too and just be like here here's a fucking keg like the keg looks just like the goddamn can put it on as soon as it floats just throw that shit out in front of the bar or whatever and people think it's cool yeah like, buy, i don't give a shit buy but... four of them so you can stack them and then have them look pretty exactly like i know that is that is one thing that we tried and i think like joey did i'll give him credit was like hey let's wrap some kegs like kegs that had like uh busted seals and shit like that so it's like couldn't use them anyway but it was like let's wrap them and then, like, we'll, like, loan them out to, like, bars and stuff. And then, like, it ended up, like, they only made it to, like, fucking Whole Foods or some shit like that. And I'm like, cool, so more people are buying cans. Right. Because these fucking kegs are wrapped. Like, that's great. So, hmm. yeah, there was, there was some issues there. And I just think it's funny to, like, hear him try to, like, armchair quarterback and... Tell me, tell tell people it's like, yeah, he never run a business for it. It's like, yeah, you really hadn't either. So, and here yeah. you are. We're so. all learning to an extent, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's like, you know, be kind. Like, that's just, it's like, if you want, like, somebody else to succeed and you see that they're, like, potentially failing, then, like, where did you step in to, like, help out at all? Did you offer any assistance, or are you just there to criticize? Yeah. So. Well, choose your distributor yep. wisely, right? End of the, end of Exa- the- well, yeah. And that's <laughs> if you need a distributor. Like, like, honestly, if I were to do it all over again, and my my original plan had to be, was like, what the, all these new cats are doing now, where it's like, all right, we're going to have a badass little tap room, or like big tap room, sell like, 60 to 70 percent of our shit through our tap room and the rest will go in distribution but it'll be a high fucking markup because like i remember like having like it was like our first half barrel keg that went over 200 dollars. people were like oh my fucking god and now i'll ask some of these new guys i'm like how much you sell a half for and they're like 350 yeah i'm just an ipa hazy but still. yeah and it's just like and that's like their base ipa and you're like what in the actual fuck i'm like N- like we i yeah you and I have talked about it, but it's just like where where on the markup is that? And it's like you're making so much like money, and that's just seriously. Like, if you're like if people if the market's allowing you to do that now, then 
awesome. Do that and self-distribute. And then if you get a distributor, cool. 30 to 40% of like your total like product is like going to them. All right. You know, no, no sweat off your sack. So yeah, way easier to uh, make money if you can sell expensive kegs with a good margin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to take 30% of 350. Cool. All day long. You can have it. Yeah, exactly. So how much would you say <laughs> if you were going to put a percentage on it, how much would you say the distribution, um, led to the issues towards the end and how much would you say with more of a cash flow thing or money management I guess that's what we say probably a 50 50 if yeah. I'm thinking if I'm being like honest it's like because cash flow I mean it's like one of the things where it's like if you're waiting on money from your distributor and there's any kind of hold up like it fucks your life up so what did you guys like, well, I can't. well it's like because then you can't order certain things at a certain time and then you're kind of like, well, I do need to stay on top of this because now I don't just have, because I think it, like we had three different distributors at uh, one point. We were in like, no, it was four. We were in Oklahoma, Colorado, uh, and like all of Texas. Uh, and there was like two different uh, distributors in Texas. But it was one of the things where it's like, well, just because distributor one is fucking up and not giving them the money, like, am I going to allow distributor two to like, am I going to like, getting the wrong with them so it's just like all right let's spend the money we don't have like max out your credit card so it's just making stupid decisions like that but again it's like our six packs were like ten dollars or something like we were trying to compete against like these national brands and that was also something that like our distributors or our distributor uh came back and was like well we can't sell this to you know, Albertsons or some shit. And it's like, well, who gives a fuck about Albertsons if we can sell, you know, like we can bump up our percentages on like uh, tap room or draft sales uh, through like people's bars and stuff. Like we'll make up the difference and it doesn't really fucking matter if Albertsons or Tom Thumb is like selling my product. It's like, it's cool to see, you know, it's like you walk into your local grocery store and you're like, oh, there's my beer. But at make the end of the day, it's like, does that fucking line my pocket and help my business stay open? No. It's way, way more cool to see zeros in your bank account for the brewery. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's just, uh, I do think like, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due to like these new guys that are just like, fuck it. Like, I don't give a shit if I see my beer like in like a grocery store chain or Walmart or wherever the fuck it's being sold. It's like, you know, if the zeros in the bank account, that's all that matters. So... Yeah, well, you can make whatever beer you want as long as like your bank account looks good and you can pay your staff and pay your rent aren't taking out like stupid fucking loans like we did so yeah yeah you see that a lot that's though true. so i think that's yeah. even the breweries that are successful have been borrowing money to buy inputs oh, and yeah. um you know especially cans that you're seeing a lot more of these you mentioned the you know, printed cans before they come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're cheaper mm -hmm. for a can, but the minimums are exorbitant. I mean, you have to buy yeah, like the, a container. It was like a, it's like a, what is it? It's like a, um, you have to buy a truckload, but you can split the truck into two, but it's still, it's like 20 pallets per. So you're buying like 40 pallets of like printed cans, and you're just like, cool. Yeah, like that's $100,000. I talked to the guy, one of the guys that was an investor, uh, kind of later stage in Audacity uh, up in that area, mm -hmm. and he had said mm -hmm. that was one of the things that really 
beat them up was that they had just done that where they had gotten uh, effectively a loan to get those cans and they got they had printed ones for each SKU so that way they had to have each different one in there and they had a hundred thousand dollars wrapped up in that and couldn't afford to pay for grains and pay for rent mm -hmm. it's yeah. it seems like a little mistake even though it was a big number but it was just one thing they were trying to do to save money and make the supply chain easier and yep. ultimately is one of the things that led to their death and that just sucks oh know? yeah i mean same here i would say that's very similar to like what happened to us is we were trying to like and I think at like one point we owed like forty thousand dollars to uh, like Ball, and so it's just like oh fuck. And like I try to like figure that out. It's like you know you owe twenty thousand. Yeah, it was like twenty thousand. You're like grain supplier, so it's just like fuck me, man. Like can't can't live on credit. And they won't forever. sell you more until you pay the past due. So yeah, yeah. You're like well we got to get the the ninety day cleared, just stuff like that. So. It's a, it's a fun balance, but like, uh, again, like I'll say, it's like these, these newer ones, like, cause you're selling your shit through your tap room. You can do like a cool label that you just print out, slap on, doesn't have to have a, you know, the UPC on it. Cause who get, who the fuck cares? Like it's going out of your tap room. Well, it's clear the customer uh, doesn't, right? So you're, you're seeing those yeah. beers sell at the same price point, if not more. So then who's the asshole? Who thinks it matters it's the guy making it who thinks it's cool but the consumer says he doesn't care then you're an idiot yeah yeah so. well yeah. i mean like we had to do that the fucking upc shit was so annoying because like we i think we had like like we had like one upc but it was like for the core brand and it was like okay we'll have like one for the seasonal and of course that didn't fucking work like because like an account was like oh this is ringing up as you know, because they had plugged it in on their end as like Golden Ray, but not like Noble Ray, like Core or some shit like that. So it's like, oh, well, this isn't the same beer. So it always became like an issue because the kid behind that register didn't know how to ring up a beer or something. So, or whoever programmed it into their system. Yeah. It was just super. So you're just like, okay, it's supposed to just come up as like NRBC Core, not Golden Ray. So I don't know how you guys fucked that up. So. Well, that was a question I had asked a few retailers early on when I was trying to decide whether to do a, a seasonal skew or individual <laughs> skews for everything. And they, that retailer was like, no, I want to have the inventory correct. So do uh, one for each line. And then every yeah. other beer that blew up after that was the one that did a seasonal skew and could just throw things in and didn't have to wait for approval and didn't have to sell it to the store. My like, God, one more mistake that I made. So add it to the list. Right. But, so, um... What do you think if, if you got a chance to go back and do it all again, um, which and maybe you will one day, um, what would you? What what are some distinct things that you would change that you think um, were not only mistakes that you made but ones that you've learned from and you could have done differently? Well, I mean we've hit on a couple. I mean, it's just like uh, finances and fucking distributors. Like I would I would go back and honestly like I you know it's like in the Two years since i'll drive past the property it's like for sale and go "Ooh, what if uh you know it's just like i would make it a smaller like foot uh foot space you know for for where i would operate because we had i think like eight thousand square feet in like the middle of dallas and just <laughs> like and a smaller town one that's gonna help sustain you uh because this just is like every town nowadays wants a brewery they want to have their little like 
spot they can go to and says say is theirs. But it's like if you come to a place like Dallas, it's like, well, we've already got that. Like we've got Community Lakewood, Petacolas, uh, Four Corners. The list goes on and on. And so uh, it's just kind of like find find the little area you want to be. Is what I would do is just find like a new area that I, I want. Like even if it's in like a big city like Dallas, like I live like in it's like Midway Hollow, Preston Hollow kind of area. And so it's just like neighborhoods, but there's like some strip malls. So it's like, fuck it be a strip mall brewery. That's probably what I would do is just something small, you know, like thousand square feet, one barrel system, keep the overhead low, you know, shit like that. It's just don't hire a bunch of people. Uh, cause it's, it's great to employ people. Uh, and you know, the sense of like, all right, you're, you're giving back to your community by employing people. But I also, my dad would say, <laughs> I stupidly, and I don't agree with, uh, gave like insurance to my, my staff. So like we paid for insurance <laughs> and it was like unlimited PTO. And we only had like one dude take advantage of that. And he wasn't at the brewery for very long. Um, but it was just one of the things where it's like, I wanted to make sure that it was like a good like environment to work. But I would, you know, overhead low is like maybe me and like one other dude run it and then have like a bar staff, um, you know, stuff like that. If I were, if I were to do it over again, I, I don't know, it'd probably be like, you know, what Celestial's doing. I think they're in like a 2000 square foot spot and they keep their shit hyper local. So yeah, yeah. that's if I were to ever do it again. And uh, that's a triggering thing to say around my wife. So <laughs> I won't yeah. tell. I won't say it to her. <laughs> yeah. So like every time it comes up, it's like, well, when are you gonna open up a brewery again? She's like, never, never are we fucking going through that again. So yeah. Well, that's something you... that people don't realize. It's like it's not just the toll it takes on you, the the owner operator. It's the toll it takes on like you know the people around you. So. Like when you're stressed, they're stressed, and yeah. yeah. Obviously, you guys are still together, so that says something about the strength <laughs> of your marriage. So yeah. Well, so it's funny. Uh, we started. We got married, bought a house, and opened the brewery all within like a year. And then when the brewery was ending, it was we had our first kid, filed for bankruptcy, lost our brewery within like six months. Wow. So the way we talk about it is like. And my wife and I, it's like we've been through a lot of shit, and if it was gonna end, it would have. So uh, we're uh, we're in it for the long haul. So <laughs> yeah, well, that says something positive. So that's good. Yeah, right. So last question, and then I will let sure. you get back to her and your kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> to describe to me what it was like to walk out of the building for the last time. Gut wrenching. Uh, I actually wasn't even the person that locked it up for the last time just because uh, it was like a Sunday night. Uh, April 1st was the last, like, was the next, it was like a Monday. And so it was like last day of March. We had kind of told people, we were like, yeah, like, we're closing April 1st. And so everybody thought it was a fucking joke. <clears throat> so it was like really hard. So, like, because like I still like ran the social media, like, even after, like, during the transition, it was like a two week transition thing. And people were like, wait, you weren't fucking kidding? Like, how are you guys closed? Like, what's going on? And we put out, like, a press release and stuff. Uh, but if, I guess people are just like me. It's like, if it's too long, I'm not going to fucking read it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, no, it was, uh, was gut-wrenching. I mean, 
as I was stacking in like TVs and shit from our tap room uh, and like kegs and uh, like cases of beer. Cause that's just, it was like, we had a lot of products still like in cold room and we had already been kind of told that they were going to like, it was going to be like a couple months before they, they would kind of come back. They wanted like the heat to come off. And so it was just like, if you happened to be there on that Sunday, like we were giving away like cases of beer like and then some investors or now former investors like were there and it was just like anybody that had like a, a kegerator was like here take this keg take this keg like it's just going to be product that's going to stay here for like three four months so it's not going to be any good anyway hmm. so it was kind of like a like a little bit of a yard sale type feel and then you know like driving away for the last time was uh it was it was hard so, but my sister-in-law was the tapper manager at the time, so she was she had the uh, the dubious distinction to lock it up for the last time, and like she came over to her house and she like apparently was like crying the entire way oh, <laughs> from sucks. like the to her house. So, it was definitely a family business. So, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of took took it very personally and took it hard, like my parents did, and uh, yeah. So I mean it was it was difficult. Um, well, there's no easy no easy way to walk away yeah. from something you've invested time and energy and money into. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean I think if it wouldn't hadn't been for like having like a was it three or four month old at the time like it would have been a lot darker. But you know like he doesn't understand it. He's three or four years three or four months old and all he knows is that he's you know needs you to wipe his butt and give him a bottle. So you know time marches on. So so did I. <laughs> well, that's good well yeah. um was there anything that i forgot to ask you about that you wanted to include uh not that i can think of i'm like i got sent over like a very long list of questions but yeah i yeah. mean i think we hit it all man yeah well cool well um <laughs> Again, the, the concept of the podcast is just to really kind of unpeel what had happened and really give some lessons to people either considering opening a brewery or working in a brewery now or really any industry. And um, right. I, 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 might, I will be interviewing some people that are in other industries to kind of extrapolate the lessons. But yeah. anyways, long story short, I just wanted to say I think um, you know, I appreciate you sharing the story. Obviously, there's a lot of emotion behind it. Um, but I think there was a lot of great information, too, and I think there's a lot people can learn from your experience and you know the experience of everybody that comes on the podcast and i hope oh, that good. we made a difference in someone's life you know yeah I, and i hope that whoever's considering opening up a brewery doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that i am not surprised to hear you say that but I, so I, yeah. I appreciate you spending the time and uh you know, sharing yeah. what you shared um it obviously it took a lot and um it, i had fun so i, I anyways have yeah, a, same here. thanks uh, for having me yeah, go go give that kid a hug and let let your yeah, wife know that I'm not trying to get you to open a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that'll be one of her first questions. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, man. Are you thinking about paying retail for your brewery equipment? Well, since we all came and learned how to make good decisions, I'm going to hit you with some knowledge. So pay close attention. BrewBids is the only badass online marketplace to buy and sell new and used equipment. Maybe you're in the market to buy because you learned how to open a brewery the right way and know that overspending can be fatal. Maybe you're expanding up or down and you know that stainless steel lasts forever, so it's really even better than new. Or maybe you're a guest of the show and you need a place to liquidate all your brewery equipment before the bank comes in and takes it. Doesn't matter. 
Each of you should be logging on to brewbiz.com right now, creating your account, and connecting with the equipment you need. Get smart, get brewbiz, and get busy making beer. So you're not getting out of here without at least a thanks from me for sticking around. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out my others. I feel confident that my guests and I have something very special to share with you. Also, remember that the book that inspired this podcast is now available on Amazon in Kindle and good old-fashioned paperback. I can't encourage you enough to pick up a copy, but I am happy to try. If you're feeling generous, you can support the podcast in a couple of ways. Please give your time, attention, and money to the sponsors of the show. And you can also sponsor the show directly with a link in the show notes. Positive reviews are also a great way to digitally high-five my guests and I. And while I may be the raucous host, these people have bared their souls for you, and I can't thank them enough for their honesty and desire to selflessly help improve your career. I want you to know that you are meant for more than mediocrity, and that no one ever achieves greatness without a stumble or two. But most importantly, always remember, mistakes are just weakness leaving your business. Free play. Media. Media.